It's Wednesday, September 28th. I'm Pam Jones. Maryland is planning for an increased demand for abortion as other states in the region make the procedure difficult or impossible to get. Baltimore County and its teachers finally have a deal for raises. Dan Cox and Wes Moore will debate October 12th, but some gubernatorial candidates will be missing. A Johns Hopkins professor wins a quarter million dollars for a simple idea that caught on big. Morgan State University may be losing track of some of its money, according to a new report. The city's juvenile justice center is facing some tough challenges, and Maryland is running out of area codes. Some counties will be getting a new one. It's the Daily Dose from WIPR, our latest reporting on Maryland's COVID-19 response and the local news of the day, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Maryland's Republican and Democratic gubernatorial nominees, Dan Cox and Wes Moore, are to take part in a live televised debate at 7 p.m. on October 12th, hosted by Maryland Public Television and WBAL. None of the third-party nominees will participate because debate rules require all debaters to have at least 10 percent support in a statewide poll. About 53% of voters told Goucher College in a recent poll in partnership with WIPR and the Baltimore Banner that they plan to vote for Wes Moore, while 31% said they would vote for Dan Cox. Attorneys for Maryland Republican gubernatorial candidate Dan Cox are appealing the Montgomery County Circuit Court judge's ruling that allows state officials to begin processing mail-in ballots as early as Saturday. The Court of Special Appeals gave the State Board of Elections until Thursday afternoon to respond to Cox's filing. WIPR's Kristen Mossbrucker reports. Cox's attorneys argue that the ruling is a violation of the separation of powers between the legislature and the judicial system. Johns Hopkins political science professor emeritus Matthew Crenson says that the campaign is borrowing from Donald Trump's playbook. I think that this is just another move to cast doubt on the credibility and trustworthiness of the electoral process. The Maryland State Board of Elections opposes the appeal. Election officials are concerned that November election results wouldn't be certified for months if ballot counting were delayed because half a million voters are expected to cast mail-in ballots. Kristen Mossbrucker, WIPR News. Should Baltimore's mayor, city council members, and comptroller be subject to term limits? That's a question city voters will answer on Election Day when they vote on Question K. WIPR's Bethany Raja with that story. Giovanni Patterson, chairperson of People for Elected Accountability and Civic Engagement, said at a press conference today, Baltimore hasn't had good results without term limits. All across the nation's term limits continue to be a solution to help discourage political complacency, encourage bold new ideas, and help combat special interest groups from within our ranks of government. Larry Gibson, law professor at the University of Maryland, argued on WIPR's Midday that Question K would destabilize Baltimore's city government. We would have a complete turnover of the mayor, the controller, the city council, the president of the city council, all at the same time. The effort is backed by Sinclair Broadcast Group, which owns Baltimore's Fox 45. Bethany Raja, WYPR News. 
A new report finds Morgan State University's system of maintaining reliable financial records needs an overhaul. According to the Baltimore Brew, the State Office of Legislative Audits details what it calls significant deficiencies in the design or operation of internal controls that could also hamper the university's ability to comply with applicable laws and regulations. The report also criticizes the school for sloppy oversight of contracts, lack of transparency about money owed to its students, and shortcomings related to cybersecurity. Morgan's Board of Regents meets next week. Child care providers, parents, and advocates gathered at Homewood Early Learning Center in Baltimore City this morning to highlight barriers many face with the state's child care scholarship program. WIPR's education reporter, Jacana Collier, has that story. The Maryland Family Network is calling on the State Department of Education to improve its program that provides financial assistance for low-income families. Parents said the approval process is lengthy, and providers like Taisha Morris, owner of Ty's Tiny Tots in Southwest Baltimore, said payments from the state are unpredictable. By not getting paid on time, we are not able to have high-efficiency quality programs. Being able to pay our bills on time, paying our staff. Although we are not a large center, we matter. Family providers matter. Providers suggest that MSDE assign caseworkers and develop an online system to track payments. Jekina Collier, WIPR News. Assaults and the use of physical restraints and seclusion have increased at the Baltimore City Juvenile Justice Center. That's according to a new report by the Office of the Maryland Attorney General. The report also notes staffing shortages and a dramatic increase in the population at the center. In at least two cases, young people were sent to the hospital after being attacked by other residents. Some may love it, others maybe not. Maryland is getting a new area code. Some counties will start to see 227 next year. It was added by the state's Public Service Commission to deal with the limited supply of 240 and 301 area codes. The change will not affect residents and businesses in Baltimore City and Baltimore County. It's been viewed billions of times and may have been instrumental in saving lives. It's the COVID-19 dashboard at the Johns Hopkins Center for Systems Science and Engineering. The Baltimore Sun reports that the dashboard's creator, Lauren Gardner, will be awarded the 2022 Lasker Bloomberg Public Service Award worth $250,000. Today's dashboard shows there have been more than $6.5 million COVID deaths worldwide and more than 12 billion vaccine doses administered. Baltimore County officials announced a plan Tuesday for teachers to get pay raises and bonuses. This ends a weeks-long argument between County Executive Johnny Olszewski and the school system over how much to give educators and how to pay for it. WIPR's John Lee with that story. If this plan was being graded by a Baltimore County teacher, it might get an incomplete. As part of the compensation package, teachers also will get retention bonuses, but no word on when or how much. The school system is promising to cut its budget to help pay for raises, but there are no details on where those cuts are coming from. At Tuesday's news conference, no written plan was handed out to reporters. Nonetheless, 
County Executive Johnny Oshevsky and other county officials spoke glowingly about what's been hammered out. That's the beautiful thing about this, this, this package, is that it is fiscally responsible and it is sustainable while still putting tens of millions of dollars in the pockets of our hardworking educators. Officials say the current proposal will cost $76 million this fiscal year. Teachers will get a 3% raise six months earlier than planned. It was going to take effect in January. It's now retroactive to this past July. Employees also are getting back a pay increase they lost a couple of years ago due to budget cuts, and all staff will be getting bonuses. Much of the cost will be offset by those unspecified budget cuts, American Rescue Plan money, and the school system spending some of its budget surplus. School Superintendent Darrell Williams says the compensation plan represents an increase of between 7 and 11 percent for employees. These are wins. It's a small win, but it's a win in the right direction, and, and we still have more work to do. Cindy Sexton, the president of TAPCO, the Teachers Association of Baltimore County, says the bottom end of the pay raise is more like 5 percent. Sexton says this is a step in the right direction, but that this is not as good for teachers as the plan that had been on the table, that more needs to be done, and that the union is fighting for more money. We will continue to do this. We can have all the great curriculum, all the great schools, but there is an educator crisis, and it is real, and it is affecting our students, and we need to do all we can to fix that. Oshevsky had rejected an earlier deal worked out between the school system and the teachers' union for a five-year plan that would have raised annual salaries an average of around 8 percent. Oshevsky said school officials had no long-term plan to pay for the raises. He said there might have to be tax increases to cover the $500 million cost, and that wasn't going to happen. What irked Oshevsky and members of the county council about that earlier deal was that it was struck after the county had passed its budget for the year, so the money for the raises wasn't there. This is not the typical budgeting practice, uh, so it's our hope that we can return to finding ways through the normal budgeting process to identify continued investments in, in the men and women who deliver educational excellence here in Baltimore County. And Oshevsky believes he can hold the school system accountable for its promised budget cuts when it makes its annual request for around $2 billion for next year's education budget. We are confident that the system will produce the, the cuts and the savings that they've identified um, when they submit their fiscal 24 budget, which is the appropriate venue to find ways to do even more, which is what we'll try to do next year. Teachers Union President Cindy Sexton says this new deal needs to be ratified by the union, which she hopes will happen as early as Friday. John Lee, WIPR News. Following the Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe v. Wade, many states where abortion is still available are bracing for an influx of people looking for care, states including Maryland. Neighboring West Virginia recently implemented strict abortion regulations. Lawmakers and health organizations in our state are considering how best to help people coming here for reproductive health needs. WIPR's health reporter Scott Massioni explains. 
Getting an abortion provider in West Virginia was not always an easy task. In a state that's 24,000 square miles, twice the size of Maryland, there are only three facilities that provided abortion care before the state banned most abortions. By contrast, Maryland has 44 facilities that provide abortions. Earlier in September, West Virginia officially banned abortion, except for when it's needed to save someone's life or in cases of rape or incest. That ban was spurred by the Supreme Court ruling that overturned Roe v. Wade this summer. Now Maryland providers and lawmakers are bracing for an influx of patients and considering the legal ramifications of giving abortions to those coming to the state for care. President and CEO of Planned Parenthood of Maryland, Karen Nelson, says Maryland providers expect to see more patients. It remains to be seen the numbers of clients that would cross over into Maryland, although we know it's going to happen based on patterns that we already see. We already see citizens of West Virginia in our Frederick Health Center regularly. That's just normal travel because we have accessibility here and we have available appointments and and folks can travel to Frederick. But getting people the care they need is still difficult. According to Maryland Delegate Ariana Kelly, the vice chair of the Health and Government Operations Committee, state providers are in high demand. Our providers are absolutely overworked. When, When the Dobbs decision first came out, There was a lot of interest to talk to providers, and I couldn't even connect them with the providers because they were busy working all the time, right? So there's all this interest, oh, can you come speak on our panel and tell us what it's like on the ground? And they're like, are you kidding me? What it's like on the ground is that I'm neck deep in work, (laughs) right? So this is a real challenge. The workload is, is heavy. Providers and lawmakers are expecting that workload to get heavier as more states pass laws restricting abortion. Delegate Kelly says Maryland's prepared to go to bat for providers, however. Democrats have a robust legislative agenda coming up in the state legislature once the next session starts in January. She says making reproductive rights an amendment in the Maryland Constitution is a top priority. The House of Delegates passed the measure last session, but the Senate never got around to voting on it. Outside of the amendment, Kelly said that shield laws will be on the top of the list. We're talking about protecting individuals who are obtaining services and protecting providers and those organized support networks that help people access services who are coming from out of state to obtain care and care. We're talking about protection against criminal prosecution, right? Prohibiting law enforcement from cooperating with extradition requests, um, prohibiting state agencies from providing information. Many of these shield laws are reactions to measures passed in states banning abortion that prosecute providers or allow for civil actions against providers. Abortion care professionals say they're preparing themselves for more people and for more legal challenges. Nelson says Planned Parenthood has been prepping for a day without the Roe decision for quite some time. The strategies and the conversations have been going on for a long time. It becomes one of our regular discussion points at management meetings. We have to keep our eye on the rest of the country. We, you know, look at a map and consistently are are following which states have enacted bans, which states are under the threat of enacting bans, and kind of look at the, uh, the travel patterns for people from those states. Nelson added that last legislative session, Maryland passed the Abortion Care Access Act, which provided $3.5 million for training healthcare professionals and will also help increase abortion care. Scott Massioni, WYPR News. Finally, to those of you watching The Path of Ian in Florida or worrying about relatives in Puerto Rico, our thoughts are with you. The Maryland Department of Emergency Management reminds residents that hurricane season lasts until November 30th, and this is a good time to prepare for a storm by checking the MDEM website at mdem.maryland.gov. 
The Daily Dose is brought to you by WYPR, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Many thanks to my news team colleagues, Rachel Bay, Shekinah Collier, John Lee, Scott Massioni, Joel McCord, Kristen Mossbrucker, and Bethany Raja. The executive editor of The Daily Dose is Danielle Irby. If you have a scoop or suggestion for this podcast, my social media hangout is Twitter at That's Pam Jones. Remember to be courageous and stay curious. I'm Pam Jones. Thanks for listening.